This sermon was recorded at Grace City Church's Sunday morning service. Thanks for engaging with us online, and we pray that this sermon greatly encourages your faith and walk with God. We're going to uh, look at, we've been looking at a little series called Fulfilled, uh, because Jesus fulfills so many Old Testament uh, prophecies. And this scripture, you'll know it very well, uh, it's from Isaiah 9. Uh, verses 6 and 7. Uh, it's on our Christmas card we've done this year. You'll see it all over the place. I want us to have a look at it this morning because it says so much. So let me just read it, and then I'm going to ask the kids some questions. So kids, uh, I've got some chocolates to help you. Uh, so, But let's read this first. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, yesterday I forced my family to listen to Handel's Messiah, which sings this verse. Uh, it's a song. And um, I said, well, they should know the scripture by then because it's amazing. I'm not going to play it or try and sing it for you. But listen to Handel's Messiah where uh, they perform this song. It's quite incredible. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, verse. But let me ask the kids some questions. Let's gather those chocolates. We've got chocolates here. The age limit, <laughs> you don't count, Steve. <laughs> That's the age limit, sorry. So, um, kids, who can tell me, um, do you know who this scripture is about? Who Hands up, if you can tell me. Here we go. Jesus. Yeah, there we go. Good job. So, who can tell me, uh, what is a throne? It talks about a throne. Hands up, if you can tell me what a throne is. Yep chair that someone sits in? Yes, it is a chair. Very good. A very important chair that someone sits in. Okay, we'll make it a bit more difficult now for the older ones. So, that's including you, Jacob. <laughs> All right, so what about government? Who can tell me what the government is? What's government? That's a hard one. Does anyone know? Yes, Jess. What's All who, like, rule the city or something. Yeah, who rule what? The city. The city, yeah, very good. That's government. Well done. Very good. I'm impressed. Very, very good. Well, that's good. Um, maybe one more. Should we ask one more question? What should we ask? Who can tell me what peace means? What do you think peace means? Hands up. Yes? Uh, um, I forgot. <laughs> Not, no war. What is it? The opposite of war. Yeah, there we go. Well, you deserve a chocolate, absolutely. Who else didn't get one? You can hand them out for me, Kelvin. <laughs> All right. I do have a bigger prize as well. And teenagers, you can take part in this too. <clears throat> in fact, I've got three. Look at that, you see. Okay, so this is up to anyone who's not an adult, okay? 
So at the back there are pieces of paper and textures and things, and you can draw Jesus on the throne. Okay, kids, this is for you too. You can do your best drawing of Jesus on the throne. When it's done, you've got the whole time I'm talking until the end of the service to do it. Then Ryan's got pins, and you can pin it up on the board there. And at the end, Lynn is going to be the judge. <laughs> I'm not doing it. And Macy. and Macy and Ryan, okay? So share the blame. And they're going to give away these three prizes, okay? There's your incentive, kids. I was happy to do that game as long as I didn't have to judge. <laughs> we'll divide it into age groups, okay? Good. Well, hopefully that'll keep the kids busy for a little while thinking about Jesus on the throne, which is what we want to look at. And in these verses of Isaiah, it's actually a prophecy that he brings uh, in, from the previous five verses at the start of chapter 9. He's bringing a prophecy to Judah, which is where he lived at the time. Judah being the northern kingdom of Israel. It's split into two kingdoms. Jordan, Judah was the northern one. And Judah was in a mess at that time. Uh, they were worshipping other gods. They were being uh, subject to many foreign invasions. Uh, justice had broken down. The whole nation was in an absolute mess. And so Judah, so Josiah, sorry, speaks into this situation. And he speaks this word of hope. And it's firstly hope for Judah, that if they respond to God, if they turn to God, there is real hope. Their nation is a mess, things are crumbling, but there is hope if they turn to God. And then this prophecy that he brings is not only for Judah, obviously, but is for us, for everyone that followed. It's a word of hope. It's about hope for the whole world, for every single person that has lived and will live. It's a word of hope. And at the beginning of chapter 9, Isaiah describes <clears throat> this great hope as a great light. And he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And Isaiah is so confident about this future hope that he actually talks about it in the past tense, as if it's already happened. He says they have seen a great light. A light has dawned. Well, actually, it's still to come. But he is so sure. God's given him such an assurity that this hope is going to come, that's going to shift everything, that he talks about it in the past tense. And this is what we need. This is what our world needs. It needs hope. We need this great light of hope to shine into the darkness of our lives, the darkness we see around us. And then as Isaiah continues, we get to this verse 6 of this hope for humankind, and the great light is now revealed for who he is. It's a king. That's what the great light is. It's a king, and it's not just any king, but it's a king that is God's son. So let's look 
at these verses because we see in these two verses of Isaiah, it's a description of this coming king and of his rule. These two verses, they answer these questions. They answer the question, how does the victorious, covenant-fulfilling work of God come about? How does that happen? How is it going to happen? And this question, by what way do the Lord's people enter a non-contributory salvation? Quite a strange phrasing. I, I'd actually read it, a non-contributory salvation. It helps me think about the fact that we bring nothing. We bring nothing. God's brought everything. We don't contribute to the salvation. But how? How is that going to happen? How is the Lord's people going to enter into a salvation like that? And the answer is in these verses. It's this fact that this prophesied of king would be born. He would be born. He is the answer to the questions. So let's look at this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the emphasis actually rests not on the to us, but on the fact that a child is born, a son is given. This king, he'll be a child. He comes in meekness, in humility. He comes in weakness as a child. He's a son. He has the dignity of the royal line of David in his lineage. He comes as a son. He comes born. He's born. He's like any other human baby, born as a human, like any other child would be, given birth by his mother. He comes born of human parentage, but also given, given by the Lord, coming from God himself. And the government will be on his shoulders. Because of this king coming, his people's shoulders, the people of his kingdom, are delivered because his shoulders, this king's shoulders, will accept the burden of rule. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where it's all a bit chaotic uh, and maybe you're trying to make things happen and no one's really listening. Uh, you're trying to you know, get something organized, but no one's really listening to you. Um, no one's following your instructions. But then someone with authority comes in and speaks, and suddenly it all comes together, and you can breathe a sigh of relief. Someone else has got it. It reminded me of a, a Larson comic. I think we've, we've got it. Uh, this comic of the sheep. And it says, Henry, our party's total chaos. No one knows when to eat, where to stand, what to... Oh, thank God, here comes a border collie. <laughs> We're relieved when someone comes in. Well, actually, this is what this king has done. You know, the world tries to rule itself. We try and have all the answers. We think we uh, can make things happen, but we only have to you know, look briefly at what's going on in the world to see that we don't actually know how to rule. Things are a mess. And there's this weight of rulership when we try and carry everything for ourselves and think that our destiny is in our own hands. It puts a weight on us and on our shoulders that is impossible to carry. But this king is coming 
And he's taking all that rulership on himself, that he would carry it, and then he will delegate authority to us, his people in his kingdom, to rule and to reign with him. But he carries that authority. Isn't that an incredible, incredible thing? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That he will be called, literally it says, one will call his name. One will call his name. And then all those words are his name. One will call his name. A name he has used in its highest sense of summing up someone's character. It declares the person. This name, it will declare who this king is. It declares this person. The perfection of this king is seen in his name. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is His name. His name being Wonderful Counselor. It speaks of His qualification for ruling. And literally, again, it means a wonder of a counselor. A wonder of a counselor. And that word wonder in the Hebrew, it's the nearest word they have to the idea of the supernatural. He's a supernatural counselor. He's a counselor beyond human wisdom. And in Jude at the time, they would have compared that with their king Ahaz, who was making an absolute mess of things. They might have compared uh, that saying with Solomon, who was a wise king, given great wisdom, but at the end of the day, only human wisdom. Here was coming a king with supernatural Wisdom, the supernatural counselor. This was his qualification for ruling. His name is Mighty God, which speaks of his person and his power. This king would be none other than God himself, with all the power of the one who created and sustains everything we know. He would be the divine Messiah that the whole of the Old Testament points to, all the prophecies, every part would point to this mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. It speaks of His relationship to His subjects. Everlasting, uh, it's both in the general sense that He's God, the rock eternal, and it's specific in that He lives forever. When Israel wanted a king in 1 Samuel, they wanted to get rid of the period of the judges where things went up and down, up and down. One judge, then he went, then another judge, she went. So they wanted a monarchy that would be more permanent. Well, this king is the ultimate fulfillment of their longing. And his name is Everlasting Father. Father speaks of his concern, his care, and his discipline for his people. His name is Prince of Peace. It speaks of the society his rule creates. The society his rule creates. See, peace, it means personal fulfillment. It means well-being. It means being in harmony with God. And the Hebrew word, uh, the verb used here is Salem, which means to be whole or to be complete, to be whole or to be complete. Prince 
Well, prince actually corresponds maybe more to our idea of a ruler who administrates. The princes administrated. They uh, ruled in that way. So we see here that this prince himself being whole as a whole personality, at one with God, at one with his people, he administers the benefits of peace and wholeness through his rule. That is his name. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. His rule will be unchanging in character. Unchanging in character. It will be without end in space and time. Be forever. It fulfills everything that David dreamed of for Israel. And it reflects the holiness of God in its devotion to justice and righteousness. <clears throat> and then finally, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This king's rule is guaranteed. How is it guaranteed? It's guaranteed by the zeal. Zeal is passionate commitment. Passionate commitment. It's love that tolerates no disloyalty and that allows no rival. It's passionate commitment. It's guaranteed by the zeal and the activity, the accomplishment of God the Father. He is the guarantee of this king's rule. And so we can know without a doubt that this is true. It is the Lord who plans the future and keeps his promises. So friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news that Christmas is all about. This incredible king has come. He has made a way, as we were singing, through his blood for you and I to enter his kingdom of wholeness and peace. And for those this morning that don't know this king, the Lord Jesus Christ, Actually, today, you can enter his kingdom by repenting of your sin, confessing him as your king and Lord. It actually only takes a moment to change your whole life. For those of us that have already entered Jesus' kingdom, we need to move on to maturity in him. I want to encourage us over this time, even as you maybe do that reflection Consider how God wants to bring you on in maturity. Consider how we can live as witnesses to this kingdom we've been talking about. How can we be witnesses to this peace, to this wholeness, to this reign of Jesus Christ? For Moore, a writer, he puts it like this. He says, people who truly understand the gospel stop thinking about how they can get to God, because you've already got to God, and start thinking about how they can let God flow out of them to fulfill His purposes in the world. How can we let God flow out of us to fulfill His purposes? How can we demonstrate this kingdom of wholeness, this kingdom of peace? We are now part of a much much, much bigger story, a story of a kingdom without end, a story with a king who is worthy to be loved and adored above all. 
So friends, let's set our eyes this Christmas like flint. You know, flint was this hard stone, immovable, unbudgeable. Let's set our eyes on Jesus Christ. He's the only real hope. And so setting our gaze on Him, our complete focus on Him, is the best thing by far we can get to. Can the band come up? We're going to sing O Holy Night. And the words go like this. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A new morn has broken, a new light, this great light, this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, this King Jesus. He has risen. He is this great light, the great hope for each of us. And the response that this carol brings is the only response really we can make. It's to fall on our knees and to worship, to worship Him. Can you stand? I'm just going to pray before we sing this. Thank you for listening to this sermon. To engage with Grace City Church further, please check out our website, gracecitychurch.net, where you can find links to our socials. Or come visit us in person. All are welcome. God bless.